0: Welcome to the Wee Jay Andri Show, husband and wife plastic surgery team where we talk about all things plastic surgery. Today will be about tummy tucks and we're going to go deep dive into the safety, our opinions on different parts of the tummy tuck, how it, who's a good candidate for a tummy tuck, and some controversial topics about falhas, drains, and plication. So stay tuned and we'll see you soon. Welcome, guys. This is Doctor Weejay. We are back at the Weejay Andrew Show today. We are going to be talking about tummy tucks, episode two.
1: All right, let's get started.
0: So, last time we did rapid fire. Obviously, we can do that again. How do you want to? How do you want to talk about tummy tucks today?
1: Uh, so let's reverse roles, and okay. I can kind of rapid fire ask you some questions sure. about tummy tuck, and then I'll weigh in as well. Perfect. Okay, so go for it. I'm ready. The first thing that we need to talk about. This is probably the most common question uh do i need a tummy tuck or do i just need liposuction
0: correct so that is the most common question so the obvious obvious answer is if you have excessive skin that's hanging over even if it's a little bit um then you need a tummy tuck so the if you have like that you've lost 100 pounds and your skin which we call panis, is hanging on your pubis then yes obvious Answer, tummy tuck. When you haven't lost a lot of weight, but maybe you've had a couple of children, you had a C-section, and your skin is folding over even a little bit, likely you need a tummy tuck. Now, it's those girls or guys who have a little pooch in their lower abdomen, upper abdomen, maybe sides, where they feel full, but there's not that like laxity or excess skin. That's when liposuction has a potential chance to get you to a result you're hoping for.
1: Yes, I would agree with that. So some of the buzzwords that I kind of, you know, listen for whenever people are even talking to me, um, especially during COVID, we've done a lot of virtual consultations, so I've kind of picked up on some of these things, is whenever people say, I've had big babies, I am now like two or three pregnancies in, I've had a C-section, or I've had weight loss, or if I have stretch marks. That's another big thing is if they've had stretch marks, a lot of times, that skin's just not going to shrink back um, with just the liposuction alone, and so. And then the other thing that I look at is how much muscle separation they have. If they need the tummy tuck to kind of repair those muscles because they have that upper pooch, not because they have a lot of fat there, but because their muscles are separated from pregnancies.
0: Okay, I agree. Yes.
1: All right. So, I guess the next thing, now that we're kind of talking about muscle repair, is that a lot of people, whenever they're talking about tummy tucks, they're asking, do I need a muscle repair? And I think this is one thing that we have a little bit of a difference of opinion on. Um, What's your take on muscle repair?
0: So, first off, this is, you know, people online abbreviate muscle repair with MR. So, if you ever see someone typing it online, they use the word MR for muscle repair. The plastic surgery term, is rectus diastasis, which basically means your rectus muscles are separated. Doesn't mean that there's a hole, which would be considered a hernia. They're still intact by a fibrous tissue, but they're separated and loose. That's why we call it rectus diastasis. This mostly happens in women from childbirth. Yes. So as the uterus gets large and the baby is growing to make room for that baby, the muscles have to separate so that baby can grow. And then when the baby is delivered, over time, that muscle comes back into its correct position. But in some women, over multiple children or just genetics, that muscle doesn't come back. And when it doesn't come back, that's when people feel like they have uh, like loosey-goosey core or they feel like they like have the pooch, right? Mm-hmm. That, and that pooch comes from your intestines kind of pooching through your muscles. Do you agree with that?
1: Not through, but not against, through. Against, yes. yeah. Because it's not a
0: hernia. It's not through the fibrous tissues. It's like, it's like bulging against the fibrous tissues that's separating your muscles that's causing that pooch, yeah, upper absolutely. or lower. Mm-hmm. So the answer is you can feel rectus diastasis on exam. You can. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes you can. And on exam, I can feel like, yeah, you definitely have diastasis. But sometimes on exam, depending on your skin tone – um flexing all that stuff it's really hard to determine on exam how wide that diastasis is and so you know majority of patients who we do surgery on we repair it but until we're in the operating room to see it in person we don't know how wide it is officially for me at least Mm -hmm. and so i anyone who has rectus diastasis is repaired for me in a tummy tuck um What's interesting, I guess, which is kind of the the topic that's not controversial by any means, is that if you look at a swimsuit model or anyone on a magazine and you look at this girl or guy and you see their six-packs, they're parallel to each other, but they're not touching each other. So there's always got to be some gap between your muscles because that's natural, right? Because in the picture... The muscles are next to each other, but they're not touching. So even in like the most perfect bodybuilding girl, there's maybe a little less than a finger breadth between those two muscles. So I always repair muscles, um, but I try not to over repair them to an unnatural stance. But definitely muscle repair helps patients after surgery. That being said, muscle repairs in tummy tucks are also the part that can be the part that's the most painful. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, here at the Oaks, we definitely offer Expiral, which can help with pain of that muscle repair. Because you're now repairing something that's structural and that can cause some pain. Mm-hmm. What is your What is your input on muscle repair?
1: So um, I agree with you with, with the vast majority of what you said. Um, the one... Caveat that I will say: the times where I uh, will kind of overplicate them, those muscles is I find that there's a lot of patients who do have um, a decent amount of visceral fat, which is the fat that yeah. that is around your organs, that is under those muscles and not over those muscles. And in a lot of those patients, they'll have a lot of um, that kind of loosey goosey abdomen. They'll have that that stretched out abdomen look. But if you actually find where their muscles are, they don't have much of a diastasis. They just have a lot of that visceral fat. Um, and in those patients, they also tend to have a little bit of a thicker flap that's going to hide it. They're not going to necessarily be those patients that are going to be showing their sick pack muscles. Mm. And so in those particular patients, I will over them, meaning that I'll bring those muscles Kind of overly together just to try to get them a little bit flatter in that area because they're always going to have such a wide pooch from that a lot of visceral fat and you're not going to be able to get rid of that completely but i think that those are the times where i will over somebody just to try to get them a little bit flatter
0: totally fair totally fair i think we should talk about visceral fat yes versus extra so I literally have this conversation probably three times to five times every day with consult, in the consult room. Mm-hmm. So I say plastic surgery is a skin and fat procedure. And we can only take care of the external skin and fat. So the, the fat that's behind your muscles, your visceral fat, is the fat you can burn through diet and exercise, weight loss surgery, and all those kind of things. So I can make you tight and flat and hourglass. But apart from overplication, like Dr. Andrew was saying, the majority of of your way to make your visceral or internal fat smaller to make you a smaller person is like after you heal or before your journey of this process, you really have to shrink internally. Mm -hmm. And that's on you, you being the patient. Like it's on you to diet, exercise, get that internal abdominal tissue to shrink. And it's amazing, you know, go – I Add what you're gonna say before I tell you the next part. What else?
1: Oh no, I was just saying. Yeah, I agree with you, but I, I think that it's the most important to get rid of that visceral fat before surgery, because if you get rid of it after surgery, just like we we're saying, you know, now, it, whenever I was able to kind of get that placation only so so tight because of that in visceral fat, you can't overly tighten it because it's gonna. There's there's a limit, right. but if you get rid of a lot of that, then now we can overplicate a little bit more and get you flatter, get more skin out. So it's just better for you to get it out out of there before surgery versus after.
0: Yes, and so losing your weight or plateauing on your weight before surgery is definitely ideal for everybody. For us, mm-hmm. we can cut out more skin, we can placate better. Um, I do have examples of patients, however. I do do larger BMI patients in my practice. We do our surgeries in a hospital. So I'm, I feel safe to um, take care of men and women who may be bigger size to, you know, take out a lot more tissue for a tummy tuck. And I would say that there are patients out there, if you were to do the tummy tuck, which is not just cosmetic, it's reconstructive. it's like this skin fold and is just in their way of exercising and then you know getting that jump push that drive to go on to lose weight to feel confident to Mm -hmm. lose weight because it's hard to diet and exercise um and then maybe you know after you get your tummy tuck if you lose weight in a healthy way I always tell patients one pound a week or in a in a very don't crash diet but in a healthy way um then your your skin should slowly shrink with you and I have great photos of that uh, people have had tummy tuck and then go on to lose weight safely, and you can see that their tummy tuck has shrinked. But in an ideal scenario, if someone's going to be losing a lot of weight, try to do that first.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm a little bit different than you in that case as well. Um, I do have a pretty strict BMI requirement for yeah. my patients, unless there are patients that have undergone massive weight loss already. Because I, I understand those patients who – you know, start at a, a weight of 400 and they've gone down 200 pounds. They're still over a BMI of, of 35, but now they have like so much extra skin, it just becomes impossible to move. And so I'll make exceptions for those kind of patients, but I do want to, sh- to have my patients kind of show that commitment beforehand mm-hmm. and that they are going to do the work to lose the weight rather than, you know, you just cut off the extra skin and then they don't change their their diet and eating habits and they kind of eat through what you've just done. And so wow. I, that's why I have a little bit of a different approach <laughs> well, to, would, to Dr. Ouija.
0: You know, I would say, I would say that um, for sure, 100%, we should lose weight before surgery. But I, I mean, you know, patients, you know, don't, are not, they're new to this, right? So after surgery, they get to learn about the world of fahas and garments and massages and all these things that just compress them so tight and get them down that, you know, the cost of surgery and the pain of surgery and the recovery of it is motivation enough where it's like, you know, I'm not going to mess this up. And so, you know, we've had good success with people not eating, overeating and, you know, having a good lifestyle after surgery.
1: Well, yeah, I will say that um, Jesse and Astrid get our patients into FAHAs that are so tight <laughs> yes. that uh, it's hard to eat your way through <laughs> the yeah. dummy ducks with no, <laughs> those. for sure. With those.
0: Yeah, we put you in Faha's, and I think it's important. Faha's remind you that you just had surgery. You're so mm-hmm. tight, and it's like, okay, I'm going to eat, but I'm so compressed, I get full fast. And, you know, all right, now that we kind of talked about food, let's go into nutrition and stuff like that. So, okay. and, I mean, you're, you, people's they're, they're nauseous, they, they're in pain, and they're in a Faha and all these things. And so for me, it's just if you're going to eat, eat protein. Yes, absolutely. 100%. -hmm.
1: And so uh, protein is super, super important for you to heal after surgery. And I don't think that patients quite understand this concept enough. Um, We as plastic surgeons, uh, during our training and sometimes even after, we treat burn patients regularly. And uh, a burn is essentially what we're what we're doing to your insides whenever we're in there for a tummy tuck. A lot of what we're doing is electrocautery um, dissection and things like that. So we are actually burning your inside. And so um, you need to eat like a burn patient. And whenever we were taking care of patients on the burn unit, we were making these super protein smoothies and, you know, having patients guzzle them down. So you essentially have an almost 18% total body surface area burn after getting a tummy tuck, you need to be increasing your calorie intake by at least 20% of your norm. And most of that should be protein.
0: 100%. And, you know, protein can be protein shakes, it can be chicken, it can be all these things. But, you know, you want to, if you're going to eat, you want to get things that are high protein, because you're not going to eat a lot. Yeah. So just, you know, really think about what you're about to,
1: yeah, and so. then you also want very nutrient-dense things yeah. as well because you're having to rebuild new um, blood vessels, new uh, you know, lymphatic channels. Your, your skin is kind of rebuilding. Your muscles are coming together. And so you need a lot more than just protein. You need all of those nutrients that your body needs to survive. So it's very, very important to eat a very nutrient-dense diet um, or supplement with uh, vitamins as well
0: on vitamins. Patients always ask like what should I take? What should I avoid? Mm-hmm. What is your what's your stance on so, all So,
1: um, so I have I have some strong views about that, which is why I'm actually working with a company to get some post-operative vitamins for patients um that has everything that they're going to need. So all of those, you know, B vitamins, selenium, chromium, magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin um vitamin E, manganese, like all those things that you need to kind of rebuild your body afterwards. It's also going to have some uh, bromelain, that's going to help with post-operative inflammation. Um, And then also getting on a probiotic, I think, is very important as well. Anytime that we operate on the body, because of the antibiotics that we're using, because of the antibacterial solution like soaps that we're using, completely changes your biome. It gets rid of all that good bacteria that was helping you fight off infection, helping you digest. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people have stomach issues after surgery, nausea and vomiting after surgery, um, skin rashes. And so I think that all of those things are just very, very important to uh, incorporate into your diet. Uh, So
0: protein vitamins and then the last thing for sure is hydration. So just you yes. know, you're gonna have to stay hydration hydrated because um you're gonna have drains most of the time, whether it's lipo or tummy tuck, and you're gonna lose a lot of fluid. You're gonna retain a lot of fluid. So your body's going through these fluid shifts. So you want to maintain fluid as you are draining them and you're draining them out. Because you know, if you if you're peeing a lot or if you're having a lot coming in your drains, then you can get a little dehydrated and get headaches or feel lightheaded. So, yeah, we... That's, tot- that's an
1: also a huge part of your recovery, too, is is keeping well hydrated. Um, so, back to kind of, like, the procedural okay. stuff. Yeah. Um, so, one of the things that we didn't talk about, um, are because we were talking about, like, contours and things yeah. like that. Some of the things that plastic surgeons use to kind of build more contour are things called progressive tension sutures. Um, which are sutures that we kind of place to give you like that swimsuit line, give you that kind of cut. But can you tell us some of the other um, benefits of the progressive tension sutures and why we use them?
0: So progressive tension sutures are one for contouring, like Dr. Andrew said, to help bring in those swimsuit lines. And also when you, in our practice, we put that scar so low, bikini line scar, Mm -hmm. that when we bring, when we cut out the tissue, for your tummy tuck, we have to close you. We have to bring that upper skin flap down to that low, low bikini line incision. So when you do that, it's you, you can pull the skin down. Yes, that's that's obviously what we do. But in order to pull it down and hold it there, we put progressive sutures underneath the skin to slowly stretch and pull that skin all the way down to that bikini line. And the reason why it's so important. And that's why you see a lot of our, when you look at a lot of our before and afters and that the the skin is low, the incision is low is that when eventually after five, six, seven days, the guys or girls will start slowly standing up straight. And as they slowly stand up straight, that upper skin flap wants to pull up as you stand up. So when you progress someone's skin flap down when you use progressive tensions to bring that skin flap down it's really holding that scar down so that when you stand up that scar does not ride up because in our practice we just pride ourselves so much on that look of that low scar that if we we want that scar to stay low and if that scar rides up then it eliminates you from two-piece bathing suits and different clothing opportunities and you know look anything could happen but this is the intention of what we're trying to accomplish right.
1: um and then how about uh drains how do yeah how so
0: it also helps with so we use drains right the reason the main reason we use drains is because we do liposuction with our tummy tucks and when you do liposuction you're going to have fluid buildup and if you do aggressive liposuction you're going to have fluid buildup so there's no benefit of not having drains other than inconvenience and so when we do progressive tension we are um eliminating that what we call dead space or that space that we made through doing the procedure and that swelling tissue, that swelling fluid will go straight into the drains and there'll be less dead space for those progressive tensions. So your drains for us, for most patients come out within seven days because of progressive tension centers.
1: Um, And then we kind of touched on it. There's a lot of debate on drain versus drainless. Um, I think both of us are team drain. Yeah. Um, And I think it's exactly for what you just talked about. Uh, If I'm doing aggressive liposuction, anytime that we're doing liposuction, we are injecting fluid in that will constrict those blood vessels so that you don't lose a whole lot of um, blood whenever we're doing the liposuction, it also kind of helps that fat to kind of come out a little bit easier and helps with the contour as well. But we don't suck all of that fluid out, so that fluid has to go somewhere. Right. Um, and so if we're doing more aggressive liposuction, which I think most of our patients appreciate um, because it gives them a lot better contours, a lot better better result, um, then 100% you're getting a drain. Yeah. The only time that I will ever do a drain list is whenever... I'm not doing a whole lot of liposuction at all. And so, um, but you have to be an ideal candidate because if not, you're looking at having some fluid buildup in the area. And I think that if you have that fluid buildup in the area, you're either, you're either looking at getting a needle seroma drainage, which a lot of surgeons who do the drainless tummy tucks are doing a lot of those seroma drainage, or that Fluid kind of sits right underneath your scar, and that's pushing against that scar. It's going to make that scar widen. It's going to make it redder. It's going to put you at higher risk of getting infections, um, contour deformities, scar tissue. And so I think that it's better for that fluid to go out than stay in.
0: Yeah, I mean, the person who came up with drainless tummy tuck was coming up with something. like. I I think a lot of it's marketing. It's all marketing. I mean, there's no benefit to the patient other than inconvenience. so when we're talking about safety and everything drains are safe for the patient yeah i i think i agree i mean it's just completely it's just safer for the patient to have a drain the only thing is it's inconvenient but garments are inconvenient and antibiotics are inconvenient and lovenox shots are inconvenient we do all these things because we're doing something that's safe for you so there's just like we use drains Mm -hmm. and they i mean they are annoying but seven ten days they're out garments on uh, a
1: lot of my patients are even getting them out in, like, three days. Yeah. So even So that that, that that large amount of fluid from the liposuction drains out within the first, you know, three days. It drains are out. Mm-hmm. And so for that three days, it just makes such a huge difference right. whenever it comes to your recovery.
0: All right. Okay. Next question.
1: Uh, tell me a little bit about Fajas. Okay. How long do you wear them? What kind? What stages? What do you do?
0: Fajas are another, like, hot topic. Super... They're not controversial, but there's so many debatable opinions on FAHAs. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I would say about a falha in my practice is that they're extremely important, but we do not use falhas immediately after surgery. And the reason is the moment you have your surgery, you're, you're most vulnerable. Like your skin is swelling. You just made the incision. Your blood vessels are in a little bit of a shock because you just had surgery. And so we put people in a binder with foams around it so that you are getting compression. It's not as tight as a fall hop, but you are getting compression. This compression with the with the binder allows your body to kind of breathe, swell a touch. And I think that's important because in that first seven days, you're going to swell a little bit and you need to swell just a little bit to breathe. And sometimes when we put people in FAHs, we're not a hundred percent sure what size they really are in the OR until they kind of come back into clinic. And when we put them into a FAH at day seven, day day five, whenever that first clinic visit, you know, we, your body has now like got into a new equilibrium where they, it kind of can support some compression. You can be a little bit more aggressive on your body than that very first day in that shock zone. Um, And then, even with the faha, we you know put foam and try to keep everything smooth. Another thing that fahas are you have to be careful up with within day zero to day three is something called a faha burn. So if you Google this, you'll see all the images online. they're called faha burns. And basically, what's really happening here is this is a pressure ulcer or a pressure burn. And what's happening is you're you're swollen, and just like any article of clothing that you have, That article of clothing can bend. And so when that article, when that patient sits down or when that patient is in any position, that that falha will bend just like a t-shirt and it bends like anything. And that little bit of bend that little bit of bending will press on that skin. And while you're numb and swollen, that pressure on that skin can cause your that skin to not be able to breathe and cause a little bit of skin necrosis or skin death. And that's because the falhas are very aggressive. Now, once we get you in a faja day seven, fajas are so important because it provides uniform compression everywhere from your breast all the way down to your pubis area. And people love it because it's, it feels better than the garment. It really helps just cinch them in and get that swelling down. For me, get those drains out too. And then over time, we just keep going down on your faja size, stage one. to stage one mm-hmm. material. It's m- why is there a stage one falha? It's more stretchy. It's more stretchy so that your body can swell and breathe. You don't put people in stage two because it's too tight. For that same concept, I don't. We don't. I don't put people in falhas on day zero. So then, after about two three weeks, you can go to a stage two garment, which is much tighter and going to help compress you much harder. Um, but you know, I tell patients that if you're shrinking with your falha, you know, you minimum of six weeks, but stay in it until you stop seeing any difference and mm-hmm. how you're shrinking yeah, um,
1: yeah. so um, a couple things to that so uh, there is some debate as to whether Faha burn is real yeah um, I think that you know whenever you have like this large area of necrosis like in the middle of your skin or like at the bottom of your skin flap right here that's probably overaggressive liposuction yeah. or your your skin died from overaggressive, dissection of of a flap. So I've had some people that have come in from like other surgeons and they're like, Yeah, I got faha burn my entire abdomen. Like that's not Faha burn. That's not Faha burn. Um, when it's, when but it's central I, it's not. Yeah. I, I see the only times that I've seen Faha burn is like right where you said like there is a bend in the faha. Somebody wasn't moving around, wasn't watching where, you know, making sure that those creases were then and then it's just like right in that crease and it's almost like a like maceration of the skin. Where, where their liposuction is draining a little bit or something like that, it just gets caught in that, in that divot in the faja. That's where I've seen it in some of my patients. That's the only time I've ever seen in my patients. and some of other people's patients as well, I've seen that exact thing. Like It's just right where a fold is, right where fluid kind of gets caught in a, in a fold in that uh, garment. It can just rub and chafe just like anything else can rub yeah. and chafe, and this is fresh skin. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, and so uh, the other thing that I think is really important to that effect is using those foams, those abdominal boards, those backboards, um, to kind of protect your skin against the faha sometimes yeah, because 100%. you don't want that zipper to be, you know, right yeah. on an incision or something like that. So,
0: Super important mm-hmm. foam. Foam is super important. Yeah.
1: Um, also, just because we're running a little bit of – At a little bit of time, um, I think, you know, uh, lymphatic massages also can really help to get some of that fluid down, um, especially with, like, you know, 360 lipo or doing lipo in the back. Uh, The last thing I'm going to get you to touch on, though, is BBL and tummy tuck. Can it be done? Should it be done? When should it be done? When should it not be done?
0: Okay. So, the answer is it can be done, okay? It's not ideal, but it can be done. So if I, if we ever do a BBL on a tummy tuck, there's a lot of counseling to let the patient know what their expectations should be, because when you do a tummy tuck, it's almost impossible to position yourself other than to be in a recliner type seating yeah. position. And so when you do a BBL, we tell our patients, don't sit on your butt for six weeks. So if you have a tummy tuck and a BBL, you're going to sit on your butt. It's just going to happen. And if you sit on your butt, you're going to have less of that fat. It's going to be able to be able to survive to give you the volume that you desire. Mm-hmm. Secondly, when you do a BBL, you're able to get more fat to put in your butt. If you combine it with a tummy tuck, we're unable to liposuction the upper central portion of your stomach above your belly button because we need that portion of your tummy tuck to be healthy and undamaged to pull you down safely. So you have less fat and you sit on your butt. So your BBL is going to have a less result mm-hmm. for sure. And and I tell patients that all the time. However, patients are, you know, there's some patients out there who are like, I just want my hip dips. I just want a little small correction just on the hip dip. I don't need to be big or or a lot of projection. And then with a bunch of counseling, if we're, we're all on the same page, then I'll do it.
1: Um, So, I think that a lot of BBL also is addition by subtraction. So, whenever you're liposuctioning that back and really getting that back contour to come in, that butt looks like it's coming out more. for sure. And so, um, I think it's like getting a tummy tuck with back lipo with, like, a little hit extra. Yeah. But if you're wanting that, like, big booty look, stage them.
0: Stage them, Yeah. But we do BBLs with tummy tucks. We call them BLTs here, Brazilian butt lift tummy Tucks. So it's definitely yeah, well, it's, uh, uh,
1: yeah Brazilian butt lift lipo tummy tuck. The BLT.
0: BLT. So somebody
1: asked me, what do you call it whenever you do the breast too? I was <laughs> like, I don't know, BLT with avocado, <laughs> <I do> <laughs> <have>. <laughs> a little extra. But
0: it's doable. But um, and we do it all the time. We just it just it's for the right patient and with the patient has the right expectation.
1: Absolutely. All right, so I guess that that is it about the basics of tummy tuck. I think that we covered a lot. Um, So tune in for the next one and uh, give us any ideas of what you'll want us to talk about.
0: All right, see you guys next time.